could please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes for the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, They departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, He took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel, weeping for her children. 
refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. We'll be looking at that passage a little later on. If you'd like to turn back to Matthew chapter 2. I'm sure these events are very familiar to you. The coming of wise men from the east... It's uh, part of every nativity play that we've ever seen, maybe even taken part in when we were very young. And this word, trans- the, wide, the word here, wise, wise men, is, is translated as magi. I mean, I'm sure we've heard of that term, the magi, who came from the east. And who, who were these people? Well, if you take that word magi and just add a a letter C, you get the word magic. And that gives you some idea of who they were. They were priests belonging to a religious caste. And if you do a little bit of research, you find out that they were soothsayers. They interpreted dreams and omens. And one writer says that they were well acquainted with mesmerism or hypnotism and every practice of modern spiritualism. And it's such people that came to seek out the infant Jesus. And that's surprising, isn't it? It should have been the people of Israel. And When you delve a little bit deeper into these magi, you find that their religion was the complete opposite of what we read in the Old Testament scriptures. In fact, the the Bible is very clear. Uh, In the Old Testament, it, it says, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer. And yet these were the very people who were coming to the birth of Jesus. Well, what's going on? Well, the Bible is a book that tells us history. It tells us about wisdom. It's also... Important to know that it is also a book of prophecy. 
God is sovereign over all things. Even all events that happen. And he says in Isaiah 46, verses 9 to 10, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. And there we find a very good definition of the word prophecy. Declaring from ancient times things that are not yet done. Now, we, none of us know what will happen in 2024. Will the war in Gaza and Israel come to an end? I don't know. None of you know. Or the war in Ukraine? We don't know. But God knows. And we can make all sorts of guesses, make educated uh, opinions about what will happen in the future. But only God knows the future. And this book, the Bible, is a very special book. We're told that it is inspired by God. We read in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And the same God that wrote, that inspired those words, he knows the beginning from the end. So it's natural that this book contains prophecy. What will happen in the future? No other book that we know of uh, contains prophecy like this like this book. And coming back to the Magi, they, they saw this. They came just at the right time. Well, how did they know? Well, they were sorcerers. But they had read the Old Testament. In this aspect, they were more knowledgeable than, than most of the teachers of Israel. They were from the east from the land of Babylonia. Now that should uh, remind you, surely, of the captivity some 550 years earlier. How the nation of Israel was taken captive by the Babylonians. And the children of Israel, they mixed with the people there. And they told them about the God of Israel. And so knowledge of God came to those people, the people that lived there. Among them was the prophet Daniel. And Daniel wrote about the coming Messiah so many years before that event actually happened. And he gave specific details about the timing of the Messiah's arrival into the world. And you can read about that in Daniel chapter 9. And so these magi, they were 
they were there in Babylon, they picked up all of these things. They read about the prophet Micah, who wrote in chapter 5, But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are, a little, um, you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. They knew something big was about to happen. And they followed the star. God caused them to seek the coming Messiah. Now they were in a false religion. But we find, what do we find them doing? We find them worshipping the infant Jesus. And bringing them gifts. I'd like to think that they, they did in fact leave all their sorcery behind. And they must have looked on in interest as they watched that child grow and develop into a man. The very gifts that they gave spoke about who Jesus really is and what he would do. We're told that they gave gold. Now gold is a sign of authority and kingship. They recognise the kingship of Jesus. Gold is pure, it does not tarnish, it's incorruptible. And Jesus is holy, he is perfect. He is a king. They gave frankincense. And in the Old Testament, incense was burned. And that smoke gave off a very pleasant and fragrant smell. And that smoke was a symbol of prayer. And all prayer serves to unfold God's ultimate plan. That plan is to reconcile men and women to God. It symbolises Jesus as the light of the world who defeats death and darkness and sin. And then finally they brought myrrh. Myrrh was something that was used to anoint the bodies of the dead. Now that's a very unusual present to buy someone, isn't it? To bring to someone. But not if they knew what Jesus came to do. This gift of myrrh. It directly pointed ahead to the mission of the Messiah that was just born. He came into the world to die at the cross. And at that death on the cross, Jesus would take upon himself the sins of his people. And the gospel accounts are full of fulfilled prophecy. The common phrase that we read again and again in the Gospels is this. This took place to fulfill the scriptures of the, of the prophets. And this prophecy, this fulfilled prophecy, it gives authority to this book. 
do you read it? Do you pay attention to what it says? A little book that I bought many years ago by Josh McDowell, it's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Life-changing truth for a sceptical world. And what he does in that book is he goes through all the prophecies, the Old Testament, and sees how they're fulfilled in the New Testament. How these things actually came to pass, that they did happen. And he um, goes into a little bit of maths and probability. How likely is it that all of these things would happen? when the scriptures say so many years ago that they would happen and he comes up with some astronomical you know, one in billions and billions and billions and all that is to prove that this book is trustworthy that this, the, all, that this book is inspired by the living God we often hear prominent atheists, don't they? They say, oh, where's the evidence? Well, there's pl- plenty of evidence if you look for it. Maybe you don't want to look for it. And this chapter here, we've, we've, we've looked at the Magi, but it, the remainder of this chapter brings us three things that the birth of Jesus Prophecies that the birth of Jesus would fulfill. And we'll look at briefly at each one. And again, each of these events, they tell us so much about what the Lord Jesus would do, what he came to do. Each event, each situation is a lesson in itself. Well, look at, let's look at each one, one by one. And they all have the same theme. Just as the gifts of, of the Magi had a, had a meaning, these events speak about Christ's work, that salvation comes through suffering. He was born to suffer. And the first fulfillment of prophecy we find in verse 13. There we read, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Well, that's exactly what Joseph did until the death of Herod. Now, there were a a number of Herods in Scripture, The one spoken of here was called Herod the Great. And he was a wicked man, a tyrant. He was a brutal king. He was so suspicious of anyone that would take his power. Now, we see that this very event was prophesied in Hosea 11 verse 1 book in the Old Testament where it says when Israel was a child I loved him and out of Egypt I called my son and if you read the book of Hosea 
It's all about God's faithfulness to his people Israel. Even when they were rebellious and turned against God. God said that he could not leave them. He could not set them aside. The northern kingdom of Israel in Hosea's time had fallen to the Assyrians. It was a desperate time in Israel's history. And the people remembered with this event with great sadness. And yet God was with them. And God maintained his great love for them. He reminds the people of how he called them out of Egypt. That time when the nation of Israel were slaves. When the Egyptians afflicted them. And God heard their cries, didn't he? We read in Exodus chapter 3. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. And we know that God raised up Moses to bring them out of Egypt to the promised land. And here Jesus represents the nation of Israel. And again, God calls him out of Egypt. And here, a greater exodus will happen. Far greater than the exodus that we read of in the Old Testament. If you made a movie about it, it would be called maybe Exodus 2. Greater exodus. An exodus not just of Jews, but of Gentiles also. From every tribe, tongue and nation. Well you may say well I'm not a slave. In Egypt. That's true. But we are slaves to sin. We're sinners. Did you know that? You're a sinner. In the sight of God. And when a person is converted. When they put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like the people of um, the Old Testament that are brought out of Egypt. We're brought out, we're made free, set free from sin's condemnation and power. God said, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And yet we have the good news of a greater exodus. Jesus redeems us, saves us from our sins. When the people of Israel were brought out of Egypt, you know how an animal was sacrificed and some of the blood was taken and we read that it was put on two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they ate it. And we know how the angel passed over because of the shedding of blood. And that, of course, pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7. Christ is our Passover. He was sacrificed 
before us. That exodus had a destination also. The nation of Israel were led to the promised land. And those who trust in Christ are his children, members of the kingdom of God, and will one day be led to heaven. And this is exactly what Matthew is laying out for us here. Just as God protected the nation of Israel, he will protect the king of Israel, Jesus. And he will bring back about a greater exodus. God has set his love on a people. And though they are often weak, he remains faithful. Out of Egypt, I called my son. I'm sure we all know that hymn, don't we? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. My rose went forth and followed thee. Oh, the freedom that we have when we follow Christ, knowing that our sins are all paid for and forgiven. Are you following Jesus? Are you still a slave? And then secondly, we see another fulfilment of prophecy. A very sad and distressing event recorded here. The massacre of all the children in Bethlehem. The wise men are warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod in verse 12. They could have told Herod where the infant Jesus was, but they departed for their country another way. And this, again, is a fulfilment of prophecy. Verse 18 is taken from Jeremiah 31, verse 15. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And that verse speaks of Rachel, the wife of Jacob. And Jacob was renamed Israel. And she was the mother of the two tribes of Israel, Joseph and Benjamin. And Jeremiah wrote during the time of Israel's exile to Babylon. And was writing from Jerusalem. And he wrote that very soon all the children of Israel would be taken away. And he thinks of Rachel and he imagines her crying for her children, the twelve tribes of Israel, lamenting over them. Again, that was a time of great crisis in the land of Israel. Northern tribes had already been destroyed by the Assyrians. And very soon the southern kingdom would fall. And Herod here is a type of those two great enemies. He's a type 
of Assyria and Babylon. He attempted to destroy Israel. But it fails. It fails. Herod here tries to destroy the king of kings. He murders all of those children. Perhaps if I murder all of them, then I will murder the young infant king. But that plan fails, just as every plan that has ever been made to destroy God's people has failed. Just as the the attempt to destroy Israel failed hundreds of years before, so the attempt to destroy Jesus here will fail. God promised through the prophet Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all, from, and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be car- caused you to be carried away captive. The, the, the lament of Rachel. But God tells her not to weep. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. And this is the recurring theme of Scripture, isn't it? In the face of all this calamity, God is still faithful. And this present situation is not a permanent situation. And what it's saying to us is that even though You have people like Herod in their anger and their malice who are willing to kill such as these babies. There is hope. There is a God that can do great things. There's no such thing as a hopeless situation. And and that many times in Israel's history, there were times when things looked very bleak. But Jesus is born and he is protected. And he will go on to be the saviour and give his life on the cross. Out of suffering, out of the suffering of Bethlehem comes the saviour. And then the third fulfilment of prophecy that we see at the end of this chapter is that Jesus makes his home in Nazareth. When Herod the Great died, his son took over. Another Herod, Archelaus. And he was just as bad as the others, just as wicked as his father. We 
We're told that Joseph, being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. Now Galilee is up in the north of Israel. It was at this time a place that was half Jewish and half Gentile or non-Jewish. And Galilee was an out-of-the-way sort of place. Today, you might consider it to be the end of the world. When my parents were not long in this country, my father worked in a place called Barrow in Furness, in the north, in Cumbria. It's a place known for its shipbuilding and not really much else. It's not a place where the tourists go. In fact, it's not really a place that you go and visit at all. Industrial place. And often people call that place the end of the world. Well, Galilee was just such a place. But it was the perfect place for Jesus to grow up. He would be safe there, away from all the attention. And Matthew tells us in verse 23, he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Now I wonder if any of you can think of where that's stated in the Old Testament. Well, I have to tell you that there is no direct reference to Nazareth in the Old Testament. But Matthew knew about this saying. But the Old Testament does say that Jesus would be despised and rejected. And at that time, if you came from Nazareth, then they looked down their noses at you. Maybe there are some places... I mentioned Barrow in Furness a little while ago. Maybe you can think of a place. And they, if someone says that they're from that place, then you, you go, oh, what sort of person are they? The Old Testament said that Jesus would be despised and rejected. And when he began his ministry, people looked down there down at him. Even Nathaniel, the, the, the first one of the disciples, he said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Surely the Messiah would come from Jerusalem or Bethlehem. Well, he was born in Bethlehem. And here we have another fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus would be despised, rejected of men. He would become a man of sorrows. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And this saying here pointed to that. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised 
and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And that's exactly what he would do throughout his ministry and ultimately at the cross. At that cross, we're told that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And that's what happens if we're a Christian. All the things that we've ever done wrong are put to his account. And on that cross, he bore the wrath of God for those sins that we deserve. He took our sins and we take his righteousness. He gives us his righteousness. So that when one day we appear before him and one day we will all appear before Christ he will see that we're clothed in his righteousness we are and therefore under no condemnation anymore that's what the Lord Jesus came to do he bore the full extent of that suffering of the cross and we can see from these prophecies here that they're all fulfilled it's all in the plan of God the death of Christ on the cross was not just the the, the unfortunate end of a, a good teacher no it's been planned from even before the world was made he is still faithful He is still working out his plans. So how about you? What do you make of these events here? Well, there's plenty of evidence here. Should you not pay attention to the God who knows the beginning from the end, who is able to predict the future, And who clearly and plainly fulfills all of those prophecies here in these words. Should you not pay attention to what he says to us? At this time of the year, the season of Christmas, it gives us so many distractions. Have we been distracted by the magic of Christmas Have we, like the Magi, been mesmerised and hypnotised by all the trappings of Christmas? Have we really looked at what is at the heart of the matter? The truth that Christ came into the world. And we read, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
Paul the Apostle wrote that. And he said, of whom I am the worst. He saw that he himself was a sinner. He also saw that God is trustworthy. He saw all of these events for himself. He studied the scriptures. He saw how all the prophecies of the Old Testament were fulfilled in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. God is the God of prophecy, declaring from ancient times things that are not yet done. And if he can do that, should you not trust him, follow him? I know that he can. I know that many of you here know that God does those things. And you trust him for that. Will you trust him? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for these words. They are true. They're not just a, a story that's been invented by some person. These are the words of God. You know the beginning from the end. And you, in the Old Testament times, you taught the people of the Saviour to come and what he would do. And Lord, all of these prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Lord, there is evidence for us to see. And Father, we know that we are sinful. We have broken your laws. And Lord, we deserve the rightful wrath of God upon us for all the sins that we've done. And yet there is one that takes those sins, takes all our iniquities, and bore the wrath of God in our place. Oh, Father, if there are any here that are still under the wrath of God because of their sins oh may they cry out to you just like those Israelites that were brought out of Egypt in that first exodus oh Lord we pray that we would be one of those in that greater exodus Brought out of the world. Brought out of a life of sin. And slavery to it. Oh that we would be brought into the great kingdom of light. Kingdom of the living God. Oh that is the exodus that we seek Lord. We do thank you for this time of the year when we can think again. Of when Jesus came into the world to, to fulfill that great mission of redemption for all those who turn to Him. Amen.